Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today, our guest is John Totterud, and he's owned and managed investment homes since 1984 and multifamily since 2010. He's restored older single-family homes, rewiring drywall heating systems, and performed nearly all the work himself while working full-time as an engineer. And also within multifamily, he's acquired over 200 units from 3 to 96 unit buildings, self-managing the smaller properties and asset managing larger properties with professional management. So John, thank you so much for joining us here today and welcome to the show. Yeah, Hello, Eileen. Thank you for asking me to join you. Looking forward to talking. Thank you, John. So can you share a little bit more about your background, John, and how you got started in real estate? Certainly. My background has been in software and IT pretty much my whole career. I like IT because it's creative and it offers places to do things and figure things out. And I sort of translated that into uh, real estate earlier on and did some of the work that you described. I can't say that I've done a lot of like total house remodels. I had a house where it was just practically bare bones and did go through and rewired it and figured out how to do it. And it passed inspection and put a furnace in it and it passed inspection. And so I figured I I accomplished something, but I don't do that much. (laughs) So um, later on, we all kind of go through evolutions of investing in different types of asset products and either stocks or mutual funds, ETFs, have somebody else do it for us. And I went through that and had mixed success and certainly had my IRA and everything, but realized that I wanted something more out of it. And I wanted to have better control over it and started off with just deciding I was going to buy something small and work on it and see what opportunities lay ahead. And I really didn't know how to underwrite. I knew that there, at the time that I bought, 2009, 2010 time period, it was coming out of a recession. And then we really even knew we were out yet. I just kind of knew that things were cheap. And I bought short sales and took them over. My first property was a three unit and managed it as myself. It was about a half an hour away. So I'd be driving down to fix things. I'd be finding tenants, placing ads on Craigslist for tenants and interviewing them and, and all that stuff, creating my own leases. And then it sort of built up from there. I was able to find better tenants as tenants turned over, do some of the work myself, then find people who were more skilled and qualified than I was. I could fix things, but what I fix does not usually stay fixed. So have somebody else do the work for me and it's better use of my time. And I had the three unit and I bought a four unit soon after that. And then I was managing them. And over a period of time, the income grew. I was getting cash flow from them and saw that the value was improving. As we all know, the evaluations on multifamily is different than on single family. And so I was looking at the income and knew that the valuation on this property had increased. And after a few short years, I decided to sell them and bought bigger properties and bought them in another area, 
couple hours away. So they clearly weren't places that I could manage myself. I got professional property managers, learn how to deal with property managers, and really learn how critical the property managers are to the success or failure of a property. And I had some that were just not good. A lot of us experienced that and have to replace a property manager. It's miserable. It's just something nobody wants to have to go through. But when you realize you need to, then you got to follow through on it. And so I had those properties. Also along the same line, I was networking. And a good friend of mine in my area introduced me to some networking events, started going, meeting other people doing this. And it opened up sort of a whole world of, hey, you can buy property and other people will want to invest in it with you. And it could be a joint venture, it could be a syndication. And I was thinking, what the heck is all that about? But I realized that this is a great next step for me. When you're sort of tapped out on capital, you want to keep buying, you've developed skills and other people are interested in those. And so that's the direction I started going, learning about syndication. I'm a big learn on my own kind of person and do it and then figure it out. But I didn't do that here. I wanted to learn it properly. I took classes and I went to conferences and bought a lot of training and learned how to do this and met people who I mean, I knew people already, but I met a number of others that wanted to join in on properties. And so I really started doing syndications. This is probably about five or six years ago. I started my first syndication. And it was small and still owned the other properties that I had, but it was a great, it was a great opportunity to expand my portfolio and experiences and meet more people. And so yeah, my first syndication was a 32-unit and had a number of different investors. It had two other manager partners. We've since gone full cycle on it and kind of grown from there. When I did another syndication a year ago. It actually started about a year and a half ago. And since I own these properties with per property managers and that were two or three hours away from me, I realized that this is a model that works. I don't have to be driving out and driving through the property touching the property, seeing what it's like every week. I can talk to other people and I can even find independent ways of validating that the property is being well run. You can find boots on the ground, so to speak, and people who are in the, in the area and check things out, maybe even secret renters and all kinds of ways of, of, uh, of ensuring that your property is well taken care of. And so I really knew that the whole U.S. was a market for me. And so then I started thinking about markets and other parts of the country and where do I want to be? What do I like? And what's criteria for a good market? And I found a property in South Carolina. This is from my first indication was in South Carolina. I like the Carolinas. I like the East Coast. I'm actually from the East Coast. And I knew these are growing areas. A lot of people moving south from the Northeast. And these are you know, growing and inexpensive. And at the time... Demand was high, but it wasn't through the roof like it is today. And so I got a property in South Carolina, had partners join with me. We owned it and managed it and grew it, grew the rents, had better tenants and all that. And then I looked in some other areas, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas. I found a property in Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma, about a year and a half ago. And it was a 96-unit property and syndicated that as well. And it's kind of a story in itself. I did that about it. Well, we closed it about a year ago, a 96 unit, and 
low occupancy. And so we've been working on that, bringing occupancy up. And it's going well, doing the renovations. And it was a fairly heavy lift, not too heavy, really not that bad. But it was because most of the renovations were done and we're wrapping things up. Things are looking good on that property. And yeah, yeah, I've, uh, I've been doing more syndications. Also along the line, last year, I sold one of my properties in Washington and I had a good amount of equity in it. And so I wanted to, to transfer it to another property without having to pay taxes and defer the taxes and did a 1031 exchange on it. Bought a property in Kansas City that we closed on earlier this year. Actually, it was only my own. I didn't have partners on it, but that's where I am today is uh, larger properties, more syndications, and I'm looking for more properties in these kind of these Midwest markets. I, I certainly, the Texas and Arizona and Florida markets are awesome markets, but I'm just not focused in those areas. They're very competitive. But, and um, I like where I can get a decent amount of cash flow and still have a high level of recession resistance and opportunities for appreciation as well. That's a brief overview. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. No, thank you very much. So I want to ask, when you made that shift between managing it on your own and then transitioning over and hiring a professional management company to help you run and manage these properties, what did that do to your time to allow you to do other things within real estate? Yeah, yeah. Good question. I was super relieved that I was finally in a property that someone else is managing. I found that it didn't take away from didn't save me too much time in the long run because I was talking to the property managers and having regular meetings. It did save me from having to react to things so quickly and getting calls at any time of the day. That was a big relief and that was one of my major goals. I did have to manage the managers, so to speak, and but I didn't actually realize that so much at the beginning. I thought, They'll call me when there's a problem, but that's not the way to work with a property manager is, as most of us know now. And and it did free up some time, which was a big relief. I had a W-2 job at the time. I've since left it and I do real estate full-time. But when I had a W-2 job, I had to find time during the day to do this real estate. And it was mostly early mornings, early mornings and things that were not like a direct conversation I'd have to do in the evenings and weekends. But yeah, it saved my time. They do the right property manager is going to do a lot for you. And it's more than just reacting to the tenants who call with issues. It is talking with you about ways of improving the properties and what is becoming popular in an area in terms of finishings, countertops, light fixtures, cabinets, flooring, what's working today. Those people know. The good ones will know and they'll provide uh feedback to you. And they'll also have contacts with contractors. They should know good contractors, people who can get the job done, which is something we can't do here. Got it. So let's focus our attention a little bit to the 1031 exchange that you had just completed. Why did you decide to use a 1031 exchange? And for our listeners out there who might not you know, be as familiar with the 1031, can you just give a top brief overview of what that is and why you decided to utilize this tax saving strategy to be able to purchase your next property? Yep, certainly. 1031 is a provision in the IRS tax code that allows you to sell a piece of property and buy another one 
of like kind, how they define like kind. You can look that up, but it's usually another similar piece of real estate. For me, it was always going to be multifamily, so there was never an issue, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. I think you can do other types of real estate investment property. I mean, certainly that's something to, to look up, but you take essentially take the equity that you have and that has hopefully grown over a period of time and you sell one property, you take all the equity from that and you put it into your next property and you don't have to pay the capital gains tax on the appreciation from that property. Because as you know, when you buy a property, one of the awesome benefits is depreciation. You're depreciated over a period of time and over several years. And then when you go to sell that property, you're recapturing all that depreciation. So your capital gains tax burden could be huge. And capital gains tax rates are not low. They should be lower and hopefully they will be someday. But it's good if you can find a way to put those capital gains to work for you in another property. And there's a process around. And the process is. Once you sell your property, you've closed on selling your existing property, you have 45 days to identify up to three potential replacement properties, and you have six months to close on one of those properties. And you need to find the property correctly and close on it. You're also using what they call a qualified intermediary, and that organization is handling the funds that are going to go into your replacement property. That's a brief overview. And hopefully I haven't missed any key points or gotten any too much wrong here. But that's what I was at setting out to do. I actually did this once before on a prior property. So I was somewhat familiar with it. The challenges that I saw going into this were I kind of knew that my current property would sell pretty quickly. There was a good demand in that market. That was one of the reasons why I was selling it. And I didn't want to be selling it and then have the equity just sit there and not be able to find replacements and not be able to buy anything and end up having to pay the tax on those capital gains. So I looked for a replacement property first and spent a fair amount of time doing that and had a good idea of what I wanted, at least two or three of them, two at least and possibly three, but I had a pretty good idea. and. Also, when I was selling the current property, I underestimated the market a little bit. And I started calling around the brokers in that market that were familiar with the area. And I said, hey, I'm thinking of selling my property. And here's where the property is. And I just wanted to kind of interview as a broker and see if you might be qualified to list my property for me. And talked to several brokers at, at that time. And they were very forthcoming, good brokers. And I was glad to have talked with them. And then I said, okay, thank you very much. And was done with the conversations. Then within about a week, one of the brokers sent me an unsolicited offer. And they had not seen any financials or anything about it. They just knew what the property looked like and where it was and everything about it. And the offer was a good offer. and the price that I was looking for. And I thought, oh man, this is a little quicker than I expected, but I accepted the offer and started moving down the line. It turned out that offer, there were some other aspects about that offer that were not good. And I ended up terminating that agreement. But then I got another offer pretty soon after it that was also for full price and moved forward with that and went through closure and then went through the process of putting an offer in 
and getting a replacement property under contract. This is the property in Kansas City. This is a little bit of ways away. And the property I was selling was more local to me. It was in another part of the state of Washington where I live. And so I had to move quickly on the replacement property and be sure that this is the one and do my inspections and everything else. And it went well. There were a few hiccups along the line, like from the lending perspective, I uh, was talking to the lender and they run you through the ringer. <laughs> they qualify you. I purchased property previously on my own and also with partners. So I had the experience, but they just ask a lot of detailed questions. And fortunately, it went with the minor hiccups, still went okay. All things that could have gone a lot worse. I've heard a lot of horror stories about 1031s. But the main key point there, I think, is that you need to have a good idea of what you want to buy as a replacement property because it's a seller's market. Properties sell quickly. And if you've got a property that's got good equity in it, probably there's going to be demand for it. It's probably a good place and you probably won't have much trouble selling it quickly. Your problem will be finding a replacement property. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So did you take the full proceeds from the sale of the first property and then roll it over into the second acquisition? And then did you have to raise any additional money to cover any other, you know, if the property was bigger, if it cost more, did you have to raise anything for that? Or did you have to supplement in any way? I supplemented it a little bit. Yes. So I did use all the proceeds from the sale of the first property and it all went into the new one and I had to supplement it. I wasn't going to find partners for it. The rules of the 1031 exchange are very specific about this has to be your property. And I couldn't tell you what you can and can't do with it. I know people bring 1031s into syndications and you have to set up the tenant and common structure. And I have not done that. I don't know that I would want to for a future property. I think it's fairly constraining. But no, I'm sorry, roundabout answer to your question is I did not raise more money. I did not take on any more partners. I had to supplement it a little bit in order to, to close the deal, but I was happy to. It was really what I wanted to do. And I knew it was a good investment and I've had it three months now and it's been working out really well. It's a good property. And so that aspect there, you were once everything had closed and then you're able to offset the taxes from the capital gains completely with this 1031 exchange that you completed. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's deferring them. And if I'll have to pay taxes on it or not, I don't know what the future is going to hold. I'd like to do it again in a few years when I'm ready to sell this property if the law still allows it. So for you, as you were doing this 1031 exchange, what was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome when trying to get the properties closed and sales, or maybe it's with the lender side of things? What was the biggest one that you had to face? It was mainly the lender. 
the seller was very forthcoming and provided a lot of great information on it. Very experienced seller, and it was good working with this person. And the inspections went well. The property was in decent condition. A couple of minor things, and it was you know fully occupied, 100% occupied, and the tenants were good. Were not delinquencies, which is what I was looking for. I didn't want a an unstable property. The problems with the loan were the lender increasing the amount of equity I had to bring to the table a couple times. And it was a little disconcerting to have this and think, what do you mean you're not going to lend as much as you did before? And then by then, you start in with a mortgage broker or a lender or maybe both, and you're pretty much committed to them. You're not doing two or three at the same time because it's just not fair to them. They put in a lot of work. They don't get paid until closing. It's not a good ethical way to do business. And so I focused on one, and, and they're all good folks. There's nothing disparaging to say at all about them. They're good people, but the lender had to change the amount that they were alone for the property because economic circumstances changed. I had a rate lock that was a good rate as of like the first week in January. And by the time I closed at the end of February, rates were up 50, 75 basis points as we all know, and they're up even higher since then. And so that changed their lending structure uh, to a certain degree. I got a final quote on insurance, and it was a small amount over the initial pro forma, but that kind of threw them into a lurch also. And so they came back. I had no choice at that point. You're sort of committed to the loan. And they were to follow through. I was still to get my rate. And the terms were good. I would not have walked away from that. And then had to start over or anything because they weren't giving me the loan that I needed. But that was mainly it. It didn't really slow things down. Actually, the duration of the lending and approval process was frustrating as well. And I'm sure buyers experience this all the time as days go by where you're not hearing from them. And then you get just a simple question and say, you could ask me this days ago or weeks ago. And you're answering the question, and then it moves a little bit further down the line, and their projections for when they're going to close change. They don't care. I mean, they care, of course, but there's nothing they can do about it. It's, things get delayed, and then they all know there's a contract between me, the buyer, and the seller, and I have to go back to the seller. Fortunately, the seller was understanding, and we got the contract extended, and we could accommodate it, but that's you're not in a an advantageous position at that point. You're at the mercy of the lender and you're hoping that the seller is still very cooperative. And they were in this case, in most cases, I'm sure that they are, but the seller still has the option of saying, you can't perform, fine, I'll take the product, the property back onto the market and keep your earnest money <laughs> or something awful like that. But they didn't do that. I think that's so it worked out well. So then for you, John, at what point did you decide to leave your W-2 and get into multifamily full-time? I left it at the end of the last year. It was just fairly recent. I'd been thinking about it for a while, and I knew that real estate was doing well for me, and the income was not a problem. And I liked my old job. It was a difficult decision for my W-2 job because I liked the work, and I liked the people that I worked with. And it was a very engaging and fulfilling, but I had made the decision probably earlier on last year and set out the timing and 
and just gave myself lots of time to end that job and pick up more real estate full time, which is what I really like to do. And so how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Real estate, it allows me time to do more things that I enjoy. The big thing and what I tell my friends is midweek hikes. So <laughs> I, I like to hike and stay in Washington. There's no better hiking place than the Northwest. And we all go out hiking on weekends. We show up at the trailhead at 6.37 a.m. and there's 150 other cars already there. And it's just a mess, a madhouse on the popular trails. Now I can do them during the week. <laughs> and so that's a big part of it. Traveling, just being a little more spontaneous and pick it up and traveling midweek or weekends or whatever is more of an opportunity for me. And it's not like I'm slowing down. I spend more time on real estate. I have some other personal passions like photography and music, and I'll, I can spend some time, more time with them as well. So which is your favorite? trail hike in Washington? Probably Mount Sai. If you lived in the area, it's the popular one. Pretty strenuous. And if you've done a fair amount of hiking, it should be no problem, but it's just not very far from Seattle. You drive out the main highway out of Seattle toward uh, driving east, and within 20 or 30 minutes or so, you can see it off to the side. And very popular. But a nice view. You get up there, you can see all the Cascade Mountains. You can look out to the to the west toward the city of Seattle and the Olympic Mountains. And if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? I wish I had a better concept for networking and how the people aspect of this business makes it so much more enjoyable. I mean, I didn't start off that way. I didn't start off thinking, oh, I'm going to go to networking events and meet people and they're going to help me learn what I need to know and find properties and find key people or anything like that. It was like I had the properties first and then one or two people encouraged me to go to networking events. I started going and talking to people and realized that there's a lot these people are doing. There's a lot to learn from them. And oh, by the way, they're really interested in sharing. They're open and knowledgeable and informative and they don't have any expectations in return and it's just a great group of people and and i've tried to be that way i just keep remembering all the people that have helped me when i first got started and i want to do the same i like sharing what i've learned so far and bringing other people along and i go to a lot of conferences a lot of weekend conferences with different groups who focused on multifamily and i meet people there i could learn a few things from the, the conferences themselves, like in the sessions where they have good experienced speakers, but usually I what I get the most out of is, is all the people that I meet. And then the lobbies between meetings and follow up with after that, just enjoyable people. And if there was one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate, what would that be? You know, it's the ability to take quick action. In my networking events, I participated in a lot of meetups and weekend conferences, and I lead some speaker at a, a number of events. And I know there are a high percentage of people who go to these who are thinking of multifamily real estate and going to the, an event like this for the first time. And they may or may not know too much about it, or maybe they do, and they're super enthusiastic. And I know most of them won't take those next steps. They will not move further forward or if you talk to them, they'll 
be sincerely interested and want to get going, but they will not have done anything. And they won't still won't do anything in real estate until they start thinking those lines that I need to take these next steps, whatever happens to be for them, meeting people, finding funding, talking to brokers, going on an MLS, like whatever they want to do, whatever their niche or interest is, you have to take the time out of your day to do that. Awesome. Well, John, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us today about your experiences with real estate. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Well, thank you, Aileen. It's always fun to talk to people and get asked, guess, creative and new questions. And I hopefully I'm not too boring in certain areas of my background, but I'd love to share where I've been so it can possibly help other people who have been in similar situations. And so, John, if our listeners also wanted to find out more about you, where's the best place that they can go? Sure. Best place is my email. You can send me an email at john, J-O-H-N, at Cardinal Oak, C-A-R-D-I-N-A-L-O-A-K dot com. And it's with my firm, Cardinal Oak Investments. And maybe we can set up time to talk. Awesome. Thank you so much again, John. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Aileen. Have a great day. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.